with me. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for every day that you give us. Thank you for the opportunity to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you've given us a place to come together and to worship you and to grow as your children in love and grace. And thank you, Lord, for watching over all of us and all those who hear this message. Help them to grow and prosper in your word. To be healed, empowered, loved, and prospered by you. That they, in turn, will help others. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking a lot about our thought life. How it affects everything. How we see us. How we see God, how we see the world. How many of you know how important it is to have a biblical perspective of everything? And we need to support others who have a biblical perspective of things. This idea of separation of church and state that is so prevalent in our society which was intended to protect the church from the state by the way to make sure that the church's voice was never squelched and somehow it got turned around along the way but the church Christianity I'll put it this way Christianity Your relationship with Jesus Christ is never, was never, intended to be a private affair. Of course, you have your private relationship, your private time with God. But your Christianity is not a private ordeal. You are the light of the world. The city on the hill. The salt of life. You're not to remain in the salt shaker. And this world will continue to attempt to silence your voice as a Christian. And many cases, Christians are so uninformed about their Christianity that they just blend in with the world. They look like the world. Preachers go to great lengths to make sure they don't offend. If it's something from God's word that they know is the truth, but they know is offensive or it's not politically correct in our present culture, they won't talk about it. And that's a sin. Most of the problems that we have in our culture, especially within the church, are the blame of the pulpit And so I don't ever want to get caught in that. I look forward to seeing the Lord face to face. And I don't want to be ashamed when I see Him. And I don't want any of you to be ashamed. I want you to live the life that He wrote for you in the fullness and prosper in every way. Prosper to the extent in your bodies, in your minds, in your relationships, in your finances, in every area of your life. 
that it provokes others to jealousy that they want what you have in a way that is good. Not the unhealthy kind of jealousy, but they see God in you and they want that and you help them to find Him. The world has no idea. You know, they rely on science so much until they find something new and then they have to rewrite all of the old science books. I always say science can tell you how many seeds are in an apple. But I rather worship the God who can tell me how many apples are in a seed. Science says they figured all this out. We need water to live. We need air. We need food. And we need light. Those four fundamental basics of life. Well, Jesus said, I am living water. I am the breath of life. I am the light of the world. I am living water. These scientists say, well, it all happened in a big explosion and everything was put together perfectly. You say you worship this God. Well, where does he come from? I remember thinking those things when I was little. How did this all start? I'd ask my grandmother questions like that. She'd just get mad at me. What was there before there was time, Grandma? <laughs> oh, shut up, William. <laughs> In other words, I don't know. <laughs> this question, where does God come from? It, pre- it presumes that we can understand God with our little minds. He wouldn't be worth serving if we could. I know one thing. Everything that, ta- that science is based on consists of three things. Time, space, and matter. And these things all have to take place at the same time. It's called a, a continuum. Otherwise, if you had matter but not space, where would you put it? If you... Didn't have time, when would you put it? You see? So they can drive themselves crazy trying to figure out these things. But my God answered all these in the first ten words of the Bible. (laughs) Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, there's time. God created the heavens, their space, and the earth. There's matter. He created them. He's not in them. He's not controlled by them. If he were, then he wouldn't be worth serving. Oh, God is good. And by the grace of God, he provides everything. Everything that we need. He provided everything that this world would ever need before there was a need. All of the resources, all of the air, 
everything that we will ever need to live until he destroys this world with fire has already been taken care of. He put resources in the ground for us to utilize for our own good. He put the trees here for us to use to build things and to provide for the oxygen exchange and all these things. And and he already took into account the foolishness of man before he ever began. He had a plan on when he's going to destroy. The, the point is, man's not going to destroy this planet. God is. And it's only someone without a biblical perspective who would have the audacity to think that we're the ones controlling everything and so we have to fix it all. Not to say we shouldn't take care of things. God says we need to take care of the the planet. But without God in your thinking, we're always going to be led astray. Just like Jeremiah said, it's not within man to direct his own steps. We need God's perspective to know what to do. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is death, destruction. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. That we just read a few minutes ago. I'll, I'll read it again because it's so powerful. The scripture from last week was 26 verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It has a lot to do with our thoughts and our relationship with the Lord. I was just talking with George how this relationship, this this. This thought life of meditating on the word and growing in our relationship and our trust of God is developed and cultivated over time. It can't be microwaved. And I, I, I feel so bad sometimes people come to me and they're just desperate, bouncing off the bottom, as it were, and they just want to know how God is going to fix all these things and when and right now is really best and they can't hear him. And I have to tell them, I'm going to pray for you. And you need to begin this journey in this relationship. But I, I, can't, I can't microwave it for you. I can't make it happen overnight. He's going to, he's going to change things beginning right now. And it, all of your prayers are answered. They're granted. You're forgiven in the spiritual realm. But now there's seed, time, and harvest. And God is working in all directions at all times, trying to help you to fix things. But you have to develop this relationship with God where you learn to to take advantage of all of the spiritual um, uh, laws that He's put in place for your benefit. And you have to learn the wiles of the devil. You have to learn the difference in the truth and a lie so that you know how to resist the devil and when to resist the devil. You could be in some churches all around this country today that teaching people that God 
gave this divorce to them to teach them a lesson. God put this cancer on them to teach them a lesson. What a lie straight from hell. God, Jesus didn't do those things. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I had to correct a friend of mine on the phone last night or the night before. He calls me all the time when he's had a beer or two. And he loves the Lord. And when we were... We were really young. He had a, a truck that he loved. It was beautiful. And uh, he had adored this old Ford. And man, it was gorgeous. And he had a wreck in Galveston one time. And a friend uh, that we grew up with, this, this wonderful young girl, she died in the wreck. And he was telling me the other night, he said, he goes, Brock, you know, now I know that, you know, I used to love my trucks. He goes, and I, I know now that, you know, when De- Debbie died, he said, I know that God was uh, showing me that I had a, a, a false idol, you know. And I, I said, hold on, man, I got to stop you there. Because the one thing about this friend, he's never blamed God or accused God or anything. And that's not what he was doing then. He was just saying how he's changed and how he's grown and then he puts God first and things don't matter. So he was saying kind of a good thing, but in a terrible way, a very dangerous and destructive way. And I had to stop him right there and I said, God didn't do that. The devil comes only to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, he might use that thing that the devil did Because he's always trying to work all things for the good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And he can take the things that the devil meant for evil and he'll work them to where they do create something positive in your life. But we can't ever feel comfortable about blaming or allowing God to take the responsibility for something he didn't do. Because what it will do, and more times than not, it won't be like my friend, but it'll drive people away from God. A young couple like this right here. If the enemy took one of them out, and then I was to tell them what the, well, God needed them more in heaven, you know. You think that's going to make them love God more? I need him here, is what Annette would say. And she would be right. And God would feel the same way. He didn't do it. We have to understand what is God and what's not God. (laughs) And then we know what to believe for, what to set our hopes on. If you think God puts sickness on you, then why are you trying to get well? You know, that's what I tell people. They come from these wrong teachings. And what are you being, why are you so rebellious against God? What are you going to the doctor for? If he did it. (laughs) And they can't answer that. Oh, well. uh. But our thoughts are so important. And then that next verse from Isaiah. I just saw this earlier today. And I didn't realize this is what we were Leading into from our our thought life, our relationship with God, knowing Him, knowing ourselves, our identity in Christ. And it says, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. 
that trust, it has to be developed and cultivated. And, and it, it's something that is, is so helpful because when we get into a place where our thoughts and his thoughts don't line up, we have to be so comfortable with his faithfulness and his love for us that we choose his way of thinking over our way of thinking, even when we don't understand it and our way seems best. Does that make sense? Paul said what last week? And I think the last scripture I gave you uh, where he said in Second um, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, he said, we take every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? Is that you can't you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair, right? These thoughts, they're going to come. But if it's not of God, dismiss it. Dismiss it. We can't entertain those things. Fear and worry and doubt and all those unbelief. It's it's just going to Produce death in our lives. We need to learn to trust God and put our faith in the promises of God and watch as He works in our lives. Watch as our faith gives the angels surrounding us authority to work on our behalf. Turn over with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 17. We're just going to take a look into how powerful it is to trust God, even when we don't understand, and how devastating it can be when we don't. Can we just look into the lives quickly of Moses and Joshua to show this to us? Go to Exodus chapter 17. Say amen when you got it. That's the second book of the Bible. Exodus chapter 17. They had not long been out of Egypt, out of slavery. Moses had led them out. They get out in the desert. It didn't take them long. Even though they've seen all the miracles and signs and wonders that God performed in in Egypt just to get them out of there. And then they saw him part the Red Sea and let them through and then drown the army that pursued them. But they get out in the desert and they get thirsty and they start complaining. And they turn on Moses and turn on God. This began a pattern in the lives of the Jewish people. And Moses goes to the Lord to save time. I'll just tell you, he goes in and he prays to God about the situation they're in. And the Lord says to Moses, chapter 17, verse 5, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. And water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. 
And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So God told him to strike the rock with the staff and water would come forth, and it did. And even though they grumbled and complained, God gave them life-giving water. Now, this was only three years after they were in the desert. Now, let's fast forward 37 years later. Go to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. I take that back. I meant the first time in Exodus was shortly after they came out of Egypt. This is 37 years later, so not long before they entered into the promised land. Nevertheless, Numbers chapter 20. Just a short trip across the the desert to the promised land. But... They ran into trouble out there. Their unbelief, their stinking thinking, their lack of trust in God caused God to be angry with them and they had to spend these 40 years in the desert until the first generation that complained died out there so he wouldn't let them go into the promised land. But that's what, why they were out there so long. But 37 years later, here we are in Numbers 20, back at that same rock where they drank from so many years ago. And it's a terrible time for Moses. He's been struggling with these people for all these years now. His sister Miriam had just passed away. The people had rebelled and complained against Moses and threatened to kill him. And they really never stopped complaining. And Moses was fed up. But he loved them. And here they are again. And they're thirsty. And in Numbers chapter 20, I'll just read. In the second verse, the first verse shows where Miriam had died. Now there was no water for the congregation. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? You're going to kill us and our cows. The same old song and dance. The same complaints they'd been voicing for 40 years almost. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? In this place, no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates and there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is verse 8 of chapter 20 of Numbers. I want you to be very meticulous in listening right here. You remember what happened the first time. 
Now he says, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock, speak to the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff before, from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the words, waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Can you believe that? Do you get the weight and gravity of that? Moses, who had been raised up in Pharaoh's house from an infant, from the time they had put him in the Nile to protect him from Pharaoh's soldiers, had been raised up. God had in mind all this time that he was going to use him to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. At the age of 40, Moses was a mighty warrior, trained in all the ways of the greatest army in the world, with great power. But he loved his people. He knew who he was. And he thought, hey, this is the time for me. Because he saw some Roman or Egyptian soldier being mean, beating one of the one of his Hebrew brothers. And Moses killed that soldier and buried him in the sand. <laughs> Long story short, Moses had his timing all wrong. It wasn't God's plan for him to do that at all. Moses had to run and for his life, and he lived another forty years in the desert, in the wilderness. Time it took for God to get Moses out of Moses. To make him usable. So at 80 years old, he goes to to Egypt and he gets God's children out of slavery. Performed all sorts of wonderful signs and miracles with that staff as God was with him. And now another 40 years later almost. So Moses is almost to the end of his life. Almost 120 years old putting up with this rebellious, complaining group of ungrateful people all these years. And because he got a little ticked off at them, and instead of telling the rock to bring forth water, he hit it with his stick twice. God said, because of that, you're not going into the promised land. You're not leading these people in. I don't know about you. When I, when I first got a load of that, it hit me hard. I was like, Lord, that's not cool at all. Man, 
He's done a lot worse things than that. I know I have. <laughs> but listen. If everything in the Old Covenant is concealed with what the New Testament has revealed, all in types and shadows hidden there, it made a difference. It was important to God that He not strike that rock again. God shouldn't have had to tell Him why. He told him what to do, and that should have been enough. The first time, yeah, he did hit the rock. The second time, he was supposed to speak to it. Why? What does it say right there? Trust in the Lord, yes. But, but why? He's our eternal rock. Hmm. The first time he struck that rock, Christ was crucified. Once, for all time, for all sin. Now, forevermore, all you have to do is speak to the rock. Just ask him. Just ask for the free gift of eternal life and forgiveness. So in God's eyes, knowing how he was concealing all these things in types and shadows in the old covenant, he knew what Moses had just done. He made it look like Christ could be crucified all over again. And God would never let that happen to his son. It only needed to be done once. Let me show you how serious he was about it. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 3. It's just a little ways over. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 23. Moses was tidying up, taking care of some business. Before they entered into the promised land, he'd been doing a lot of things, and he... God's talking to him one day. This is how close they were. There hadn't been a prophet since from this world. I'm not talking about Jesus, but I'm talking about from this world. There's been no one like Moses since that had this kind of a relationship with God. And he's talking to him one day. And look what Moses said. Deuteronomy 3 verse 23. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time. Saying, oh Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Listen, please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. Listen what God tells him. But the Lord was angry with me because of you. He's talking to the people of Israel then. And would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Don't even. Don't even mention it again. You're not. You're not going in to the promised land. 
<coughs> Skip over to verse to chapter thirty-four, real quick. Deuteronomy chapter thirty-four. Don't ever skip over these books in the Bible if they look boring to you. Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. It's the, you know, talk about types and shadows. You see where David used picked up five smooth stones from the water. And he used one of the stones to kill Goliath. Type and shadow. See, when Jesus is confronted by the devil in the wilderness... And the devil challenged him five times. And each time, he responded with one smooth stone from Deuteronomy. The fifth book, number for grace. Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land. He let him see. He looked over. He didn't get to go in, but he showed it to him. He showed him all the land. Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev, and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord and he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. No one knows the place to this day. The Lord himself buried Moses there. Mm. What a friend. Moses was 120 years old. His natural strength was not abated, nor his eyesight dimmed. We have a better covenant with better promises. He told him to prepare Joshua. Type and shadow, Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. Joshua was going to lead the people in. It's important to be obedient to God's instructions. Why? Is God judging us based on our good behavior? No. Our good behavior, this is where the world gets it all screwed up. You tell me you're a Christian, they start watching you with hawk eyes. Because they know as long as they're living better than you, they think they're okay. Because they think it's all about behavior modification. Obeying the Ten Commandments or whatever. It's not. It's about a new life. A death. A new life. In Christ. And surrendering your will to His will. And that relationship is going to bear fruit. So your, your good deeds, your good works, and 
your lights that you should be shining in the world. It's a, it's a fruit, not the root of your salvation. We're going to be judged on what Jesus has done for us. If we put our faith, our trust in him. But as you grow in that relationship and you see how awesome and amazing he is and how faithful and true and how good and how powerful and loving he is towards you. That's going to develop a bond, a trust that makes you depend upon him more than you can depend upon your own mind. And as the Bible says, as we as we carry our cross daily, we come to that place that cross in the road that crossroads where our will and his cross i want to do this it would be instantly gratifying (laughs) it would help my bank account tremendously i would win this fight i wouldn't lose any ground right here i wouldn't let anybody take advantage of me but his will says something different and you know it because you've Learned it. You've been discipled in his word and his truth. And you say, you know what? I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to agree with God. And it hurts sometimes. Oh, it hurts. You feel just like you would just rather take a beating. But then in a little while, something amazing happens. He sends the Holy Spirit to strengthen you in that decision. And to grow in your relationship. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who've gone before you. And angels of the Lord who are empowered by your act of faith. And they're saying, yeah, yeah. You never lose by choosing God. His way. His will. You've planted a seed of faith. And you'll be rewarded for it. Look at Psalm chapter 1 and then we're, we're done. Psalm chapter 1, the very beginning of Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Say, watch out. Watch out who you build your world around. But his delight, this blessed person, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, the law has been set aside, nailed to the cross with Jesus. Everything that that God had chiseled out in stone to accuse you, that the devil has used to accuse you, Jesus set it aside. Now, so the law of the Lord, when you read it in the Old Testament like this, you can just say the word of God. Okay. The teachings of the Lord. The law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. (coughs) 
I'm going to turn back real quick and read you something else. Because this is what God told Joshua. He had a little talk with Joshua before he turned him loose into this great new ministry. He was taken over from Moses after all. That was some big shoes to fill. And God had a talk with him. And I'll save some time. I'll skip down to the fifth verse. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Fear is not from God. Remember, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. He said, be careful to to be obedient to everything I say is for your own good. It, God doesn't tell us stuff just to see if, make sure we'll, we'll snap in line, you know. He's not telling us not to do anything to, to keep us from having fun or to deprive us of anything, but to give us more life a little further down the road if we do it His way. A better life. A life where we haven't opened a door for the enemy to come in and steal and kill and destroy. <coughs> it's always about the word. This book of the law, he said in verse 8, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Remember last week I was telling you how I have the cows and they, they chew the cud and <laughs> how gross that is? But they... They go eat it, and then just like you're, you're eating right now on the Word of God, you're being fed the bread of life, the manna from heaven. But you could be like that school kid who goes home, and Mama said, what did you learn? I don't know. I tell you last week, they don't know. They forgot right when they heard it. Or you can take it with you, and you can meditate on these truths, and you can make them your own, and you can talk to the Lord about them, and you can look them up again, underline them in your Bible. And say, Lord, I'm not clear on this. And I think that was kind of wrong what you did to Moses. I'll be honest with you. He's not going to strike you down. He'll help you to understand. That's how you build a relationship with the Lord. You have to take this word and you have to meditate on it. And these truths, the promises of God. You see, when Joshua brought the children of Israel into the promised land, they got everywhere their foot stepped. He had given them. You know what though? There were still a lot of giants in the land. There was a lot of enemies there. There were people living in the houses that God had given them to live in. <laughs> so when they got there, they could have went, well, hey God, you said, <laughs> you said this was mine, but these guys say it's theirs. Because that's how it was. They had to fight for the right. <laughs> <laughs> God gave them the promised land. He gave us a land of promises. Everything that God has given us is already on account. As children of God, we are heirs, co-heirs with Christ of everything. But we have to learn that the provision is in the promises take you to one scripture in the new covenant and then we're done for today 
Because this is our part. Second Peter one four. Second Peter one four. I'm going to go back to verse 2 because I love it. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Wow. That gets our attention. We all like grace and we like peace. And the, the opportunity that it could be multiplied in our lives sounds good. He goes on to say how to do it. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Become a disciple of his word. Verse 3, his divine power has granted, past tense, already done. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life, this life, and godliness. Through the knowledge of him, there it is again, who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them, through the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Everything has already been settled. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. You just have to get after it. You have to roll up your sleeves and you have to put these truths in, make them your own until you have such a relationship. What I've watched my brother George grow into with with the Lord, that you become strong and hopeful. So many people don't want to get their hopes up. Man, you better get your hopes up. Because... Faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you can't see it and decide I'm going to believe for it, you'll never have anything to release the faith of God in you toward. Get your hopes up. We have everything that we need for this life. All the peace, love, and joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that you'll ever need in this world are right here in your born-again spirit. And you need to learn how to cultivate His presence and your trust to build the faith that you need to draw on these things so that they will manifest into this life, into this body, into your relationships, into your work, into your finances. You have to learn to speak words of faith instead of doubt and unbelief. You're empowering angels with your words. You're creating your world with your words. You're empowering either demons or the angels of God to work in your life by your words. And not knowing it or denying it just makes the devil that much happier. Because you're participating in this war whether you like it or not. There's a spiritual battle going on for your soul. It's great that we have eternal life with Jesus. When we get home, we're going to get rewards there too.
But we don't have to wait. We can live in the fullness of the blessing of the Lord right here in this life and teach others to do the same. I fully expect to see people in this room laying their hands on the sick and seeing them healed. Calling those things that be not as though they were. Causing prosperity in your life and the lives of others. Speaking blessings, not curses. When you have these negative thoughts, don't speak them. Run them off in the name of Jesus. Go to the Word. Run to, run to your Father. Run right into the throne room of grace. Because Jesus has made the way possible. Amen? You love Him today? He loves you more. Father, thank You for Your love, for Your grace, for Your Word. Thank You for teaching us. Protect the seed of Your Word in our hearts and cause it to take root and bear fruit in our lives, Lord. Thank You for loving us the way that You do, Your children. Thank You for helping us to see ourselves as You do, as Your children, that You have our picture in Your wallet and You love us. And you will never leave us or forsake us. And it's for our own good that we learn your will for our lives and learn to be obedient. Because we trust you and we know that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.